Hello and welcome to Museum Kind. We are three collections enthusiasts and preservation passionate people here to talk about all things collections management uh, related. I'm Sarah. I'm Madeline. Every time we got Maddie and Madeline here on the line. Today, we're um, going to talk about something a little different than normal. We're going to do a exciting little book review related to our last episode about heist. Um, so if you haven't listened to that, go back, check out that episode. Um, but first, uh, what kind of what's what kind of tea is everybody drinking? Tea time. I have a chai. Felt like a chai day. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cold and kind of gray. Mm-hmm. And I needed a little caffeine. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm having my Republic of Tea, favorite tea, uh, Blackberry Sage. Can't go wrong. Ooh, that is very in bulk of you. It is, it's a, I would say it's an all-weather, all-time acceptable tea. So seasons cannot hold me back. Mm-hmm. Delicious. I've got a, a new tea for us today. It's uh, from Magic Kingdom. Straight from the Magic Kingdom. Oh my gosh. Uh, and it's a Wonderland tea called Unbirthday Cake Blend. Um, Unbirthday? Yeah, Unbirthday. Because, you know, they have a very merry Unbirthday to you in to Alice you. in Wonderland. Okay, yes. Yeah, okay. Sorry. <laughs> so a very merry Unbirthday to all of us. Um, this tea has vanilla buttercream coconut those are like the flavor notes it's got colorful petals and it's a it's a black tea so i'm going to take my my first sip here on the podcast i'm gonna tell you when you said buttercream i that doesn't sound good oh it's delicious it is a lovely tea i'm really enjoying it (laughs) i feel like the thing they did right is have it be a black tea yeah. Yes. You get a little bit of counteractive flavoring yeah. going on. Uh-huh. Mm. Are you yeah, getting can... the taste of buttercream? Are you tell me, are you feeling the that you're drinking frosting essence? I would say I'm getting more of the notes of vanilla and the cocoa scent is nice. It's not too strong. Um it it's a very lovely tea and there's little purple and yellow flowers in the bag yeah you look so skeptical Sarah you know what I am I'm really (laughs) skeptical like boom you're like tea from Disney I'm like that was probably four times cost four times more than it should have and then when you said buttercream like how does one get that into a tea format but you know the world of tea is wide and I bet you it is beautiful better be beautiful I mean it's a so Glad to hear. I mean, it. It, it has a cute box. <laughs> yes, it does. Is this a box you're gonna keep? It's like a gift within a gift. You get the tea, then you get the box. You're... I'll keep it for a little bit, but I nah, that cover. means it's trash to you. Yeah. Trash. That box is trash. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's a well-designed box. Excellent. Everybody needs a good box. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we do have some hot tea follow-up from several of our previous episodes um i got a a colleague of mine sent an article to me that brought up the orlando museum of arts latest kind of positioning after the um uh, the fbi took their basquiats and it appears now that they are on probation with the american alliance of museums for their accreditation. accreditation. Um, yes. <laughs> good point. Good point for the accreditation. They're not just. <laughs> not to be open. Yeah. I, I actually don't know the number of museums that are accredited, but um, it says it's not. In the article. Yeah, it, um, I'll try to find it really quick. Yeah. Oh, it's um, 1,100 accredited institutions across the U.S. You know what? I'm s- I don't know if that number surprises me and that I feel like it almost feels low. Mm-hmm. Feel low or high to you, both of you, like eleven hundred. It seems um, low, but I also get really overwhelmed by numbers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and don't have a good understanding of how many things of any population exist. But I would agree. I think it it is pretty because it I'm seems low when you think about. Aren't there like twenty or thirty thousand museums across the U.S.? Yeah, yeah. Well, so. I'm believing you. 
but that sounds like a good number to me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know what? And just to go back for those of us that may not know, the American Alliance of Museum, also known as AAM, is the country's main body of museum governance, and it accredits museum based on standards such as collection stewardship, fiscal responsibility, adherence to research. So mm-hmm. kind of getting that stamp from the AAM uh, it helps you with getting grant funding and just kind of speaks to the standards of which you try to hold your institution to. So that's why it does matter, at least within those circles too. And I believe you have to be a nonprofit. Mm. Also, good I question. Don't know for sure. Stay tuned. We're gonna. That's gonna be a follow up thing. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna follow up on that one. That I oh. thought it was more about like how accessible are you to the public? Like how many days per week are you yeah. open and can the public buy a ticket in or is it like a, a private museum that's only open to private events and that kind of thing? Yeah. Well, that that's hot and spicy for them. Yeah. I was curious what you guys thought about this because um, you definitely see this in the article that this seemed to happen due to a director's actions. And now I feel like they're punishing the institution for that. The director is no longer there. A lot of the board members are no longer there. So I, yeah, I guess they're just trying to do what they can. <laughs> the AM. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, it does seem like it's maybe more towards the board. Because what is it like the board shoulders a bunch of the responsibility for care. So I mm-hmm. guess by not... Um, uh, going through the proper author like or either like they knew it was authenticated or <laughs> they knew it wasn't or they was it was um yeah. that violated at least like some uh requirement within AAM's accreditation criteria mm-hmm. and I feel like as what's supposed to be the governing body that is supposed to be like kind of ethically keeping museums you know maybe in check to some extent if something like that over the top happens and there's no repercussion. It almost like devalues the whole concept of why does it matter if you're accredited? Right. Mm-hmm. They are put on probation. They're not like, boom, you're out of here. You completely lost your accreditation. So I feel like there's like, there's going, it's making a point that there are steps that need to be gone through and looked at to resolve and get them in good standing again. So I feel like it'll be actually, it'll be good, like a good little jewel in their crown when they get it back, you know, like, and they'll be like, look, we got it back. You know, we did the right thing. We got the bad peeps out. We're doing yeah. it. It does feel, you know, like we know the exhibitions people, you know, poor them. Mm -hmm. All the staff, really. It's like a lot of them probably were not involved in decisions on this. (laughs) It's probably safe to say that uh, like 94% of them were not involved in it. Right. You know, (laughs) when it comes to authoritative decision making, you know. Yeah, you're right. with that ethical thing being one of the criteria that they just need to double check and hold them accountable until they, by doing this process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the only one out of yeah. all of the accredited museums. So it's, it's an interesting move for sure. It is. So I'm sure there will be more updates. Mm-hmm. And they'll come from us, I guess. This is our big, <laughs> our big work. We're your best news source. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this just in. Yeah. They received accreditation again. Or no, they're off. They're not. They're off probation, really. You're off probation. Right. Yeah. Well, we have um, a less hot tea, but just as spicy, maybe, Ooh. to discuss today. <laughs> Um, since it's not quite hot off the press, but is very interesting. Uh, Madeline and I read Anthony Emma Moray's The Woman Who Stole Vermeer, the true story of Rose Dugdale and the Rustboro House Art Heist. I'm the greatest to heist completed by a woman. <laughs> yes. Nice. And possibly two heists, but yes. that's up for speculation mm-hmm. uh, and, and I know Madeline and I also both listened to some podcasts I'll put them in the show notes that uh, involved an interview with the author Anthony Amore I'm gonna try really hard not to make any that's Amore jokes but he is the director of 
security and the chief investigator at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum, which we did talk about in that last episode. Mm. And that's pretty rare to have your security chief also be investigating um, a heist because he is still investigating that 1990 art heist of 13 works as well as being the head of security at that site. Well, yeah, that's like two different things. Those are like two different jobs. kind He's of. He's a busy right? guy. Like he's that and an author. I'm very impressed with him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he mentioned making a uh, database of heists. And I was like, that sounds like something I would do. Where is it? <laughs> that sounds amazing. Because uh, he has just gotten into doing this type of research. And his background, uh, he was the senior staffer when the Department of Homeland Security and Transportation Security Administration uh, actually started to rebuild uh, the Logan Airport after 9-11. So he was involved mm. in revamping that whole security um, when that department was first formed. Mm. So, yeah, quite a lot of jobs. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Apparently, he was driven to write about Rose during his research because of the fact that she is kind of that that outlier who is a woman who committed just at least one giant art heist, possibly two. And he was kind of curious about her motive. Well, in those for those listening, I have not read the book. I am right there with you. Um, so tell me, <laughs> tell me what went down like. Well, I guess we should start by telling you about Rose. Tell me everything yes. about Rose. Well, she started out as an English aristocrat. Yes. Surprise! The um, comparison of her upbringing to what she became is uh, certainly interesting. Very different. And yeah, she uh, was a debutante. She hated the the meat market, so to speak. She had to go to all those uh, coming out parties and everything. The last uh, Queen Charlotte's Ball in 1958. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, apparently Princess Margaret was like, anyone can get into this. <laughs> and <laughs> it was the final year for all that hoopla. So Lucky Rose got to be a part of it, yes. even though she hated it. <laughs> I know. I was kind of surprised to find out that, that was still going on at that time, but I guess women also couldn't have credit cards at that time. <laughs> yeah. And not for another, what, 15 years? Yeah, right. so what year, give me the year range where crimes were happening. Are we talking in the six, the sixties? Early seventies. Early seventies. Okay. Right. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that Queen Anne's ball was in 1958 and then she still had to go on to earn her doctorate in economics. What? Well, that's not nice. Yeah, I know. What a surprise. She did grad school at Mount Holyoke. So she went to the U.S. and she made sure to bring her sports car so that she could do a fun cross-country road trip after she graduated. And later, you know, she had a huge amount of contempt for American capitalism. But, you know, she learned through experience by by going and studying in America, uh, which she did uh, really have a lot of interest in the black panther movement that so she did have some some takeaways yeah from here about socialism and activism mm-hmm. and even more so when she went to castro's cinco de mayo camps which i had never heard about but she went in 1968 and for her it was very formative she i knew it was older than some of the it was kind of like students and so she was very much like around these student protests and around student unrest, even after she was teaching um, and very current yeah. and that kind of thing. That was interesting. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, and was she also personally invited to that? I thought I had that in a note, but. I think so. And yeah. she really hadn't done that much because later she went on to do kind of union stuff and she was very into squatters rights and was like yes. you just got squat and she was <laughs> she had this like big kind of um forceful personality for that type of job so she mm-hmm. did social work later but that came after going to Cuba for the most part right mm-hmm. highly influential for her 
did she ever like use that economics degree other than for, you know, like, like Mm -hmm. she leading a life of like activism and things like that. But then also like, I got my nine to five while I'm also brewing up on our heist in the back of my head. Like, yeah, exactly. She was a lecturer at Bedford college. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So at least at the beginning here. Yeah. And, And then she discovers Irish Republicanism. Yes. And that's really like her thing. That's what inspires her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she still made time to go to the opera and uh horse races well mm-hmm. and um i think this was noted several times throughout the book she had to ask her parents for money frequently <laughs> so mm-hmm. in a way um her parents aristocracy was funding her um activism and I guess in their mind, her rebel views. <laughs> yeah. And she did make like donations and, and fund causes, but she did, did also inherit 155,000 pounds. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. So at this stage in the book, while you're kind of like getting to know about her, is she a likable person? Is this, is this a character, a villain in any way? Like, do you know what I mean? So, is it a hero? Tell me. One of my favorite, um, like, I guess pieces of writing in the book. And this came from a friend of hers, but it's the title of a chapter. It's someone described her as a weird orchid among daisies. And I love that imagery. I actually, um, I was so inspired by it. that I I defaced the cover of my book. My God. Beautiful. Yeah. Madeline is a gorgeous orchid on the hard cover of her book that is so on instagram it's so pretty i i will take a picture of it so we can post it with the episode but um like i think that's just a testament to how much of an oddball she was but there was something very intriguing about her compelling about her she was like a natural leader she was and a bit of an anti-hero i guess if you want to yeah and the author, he he does, and we haven't really talked much about his writing other than that piece, but like he does an interesting job where you can just tell he's interested. He doesn't get too descriptive of her in a way that implies he really thinks that she's um, all that, or he thinks that she's like a laughing stock or anything. You know, he doesn't go really in either direction. I think yeah. um, he's clearly interested. And I know he did interviews with, her son and she's still alive actually mm-hmm. and, and there's a reason why he didn't really do an interview and it kind of had to do with um either I thought he requested it and but she wouldn't she doesn't do them anymore yeah it might just be because of that but there was um something with her legal team maybe because he's connected to other investigative work or because of his mm-hmm. other writing I, it wasn't like a huge scandal it was such a sort of a oh yeah there's a reason rose can't really be involved in that way but he did other interviews okay yeah okay well i don't want to i now I, I need to know what she did so what did she what did she do okay well real <laughs> quick we need to talk about the price sisters maybe just to set up that yeah because the price sisters he goes into a lot of detail but dolores and marion price um were actually involved in the ira and they were involved in a bombing attack uh there were four bombs in front of government offices the old bailey and it uh was one of those sites and it were the first bombs in great britain since world war ii uh, it killed nobody but it maimed hundreds and it was huge the police arrested them at the airport there was mere, maybe a tip-off um, and then they were put into prison in Britain and they went on a very famous hunger strike. Uh, he goes into the brutality of force feeding and they demanded serving in a prison in Northern Ireland because they believed that they were prisoners of war. So in that case, a prisoner of war would have been um, serving their time in Northern Ireland. So they really wanted to be seen as revolutionaries, not terrorists, because that's how they saw themselves. So that was the basis of why they felt that they should have been um imprisoned elsewhere uh so keep that in the back of your mind going forward all right all right all right and then as we introduce you to them rose Mm -hmm. is introduced to walter heaton or as we'll call him wally 
Wally. Okay. <sighs> How not he's not like the cute little robot. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a revolutionary socialist who was extremely disturbed by his military service, which does sound extremely disturbing. Um, and he was the branch of a chairsman at a, at a factory. He was a bit of a drinker, a bit of a charmer, uh, known for petty offenses and a brief stint in prison, at least one. He was also married with two children, and he and Rose just conducted their adulterous relationship uh, right in front of her very openly. And they were both, you know, fell in love over their love of Irish Republicanism. Oh, that's and a good description. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I forgot to mention that they would um, smuggle arms uh, to Northern Ireland in vehicle upholstery. Okay, so they're yeah. amping up. It's amping up. They're getting arrested at protests. Um, so that's that's them. And then they're going to commit their first heist together. Whose idea was it? Whose idea for the heist? Rose. So, it was yeah. her. Oh, okay. That's what oh. Anthony Amore is arguing, is that everything is under her mastermind. And it would make sense. Because yeah. she stole from her family home. Exactly. <laughs> Would she steal from her family home? Everything Valuable. of value. Oh, she just Silver. like. And okay. art. Okay. And art. Yeah. So this um, is the first kind of art heist that we But the tell was, I thought was very funny, was uh, she left her room untouched. Yes. Oh, so like, <laughs> when did her family realize that she was robbing that, like that she was the one doing it? Like, how long was this, you know, oh, my gosh, the spoons keep disappearing. You know, like, oh, I must have misplaced my silver candles. It was a, a one-time heist, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they called and made sure that the family was away for a holiday. Yes. And then they just walked up, took a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> Not stuff from her room. Even <laughs> though at one point when she's denying that it was her plan, she's like, oh, no, no, no. I just came back to the house to get some of my stuff. Yeah. And she, there was another guy. Um, not Walter, but another guy with them. And she said that he threatened her and did kind of force her into it. So at various times, because they're immediately caught. And at various times, <laughs> she's like, I was involved or I wasn't. But um, the prosecutor believed that she was just in love with her boyfriend and was enamored with him. And that's the reason that she did it, was totally love struck. And she would never... Um, uh, and she wouldn't repeat offend. And this is where Rose gets her first chance to um, make the court her stage, oh. <laughs> which she does quite a bit. She called her parents gangsters, thieves, and oppressors of the poor, and then later told her dad that she didn't mean to insult him. Oops. And then, yeah. And then Wally goes to prison and she gets off totally scot free. And that's the image that you see on the cover of the book where she's just given a peace sign and. How would you describe her face, Sarah? There's there's a sinister look behind that smirk and in those eyes. Um, I think to me, she's like, <laughs> you underestimated me. I'm out of here. You know what I mean? So yeah, that there's there's not, there's a smirk. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And I feel like that look on her face is there in like every photo that you see of her. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's photos in the middle of the book. So yeah, if you're trying to decide between the book and the audiobook, you get photos. I don't know. I always get yeah. photos. Some context. Well, no, that's cool. I mean, it's good to be able to see the face of the person. Yeah. Yeah. And she, yeah, is like, I'm out of here. She visits Wally a couple of times and then she tells him, I will avenge you. And she goes off to Ireland and never really sees him again. Mm. Mm-hmm. And she meets Irishman Mad Eddie Gallagher, as he was known. Anybody that is known as like Mad, Mad anything, Mad Eddie, Mad what? I'm just gonna say trouble. I'm keeping my eye on you, Mad Eddie. You, know? you might be right to do that. He was a little bit too over the top for the IRA, even. <laughs> Should we talk about the? I mean, this isn't like. Oh, sorry, I got confused because in my notes I have two helicopter. Um, and so mm. read the book to learn more about the helicopter uh, prison break, <laughs> readers. Um, you can't just say that. Can you give me a twenty second synopsis? And did she steal a helicopter and then break out of what? 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 Well, what? she was involved in the helicopter. 
people. It was a prison break for three members of the IRA. So people hijacked a helicopter and had it fly right into the middle of the prison yard. So picture yes, like, I'm yes. prison yard. It comes down. All the guards are just like, what's going on? What? And yeah. it's so shocking that like they don't even have time to react. Uh, but the three guys were tipped off. They knew. So they ran in, jumped into the helicopter. And before anyone could even understand what was going on, the helicopter took off and the other prisoners are clapping. And just like that. was. I'm going to say that is so badass. That is like so <laughs> cool. I love that plan. I love yeah. that. It worked. It worked. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know if that's connected to the helicopter terrorist plot um other than they're just like helicopters let's use them it works mm-hmm. i bet you now prisons have like helicopter like if helicopter goes down this is helicopter protocol back then they were like we don't have a protocol for this did somebody call a helicopter is the president here you know like is what's up getting dropped off yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um well, okay in this case well, this is when Rose comes back in okay. because Rose c- goes up to the helicopter pilot, a different helicopter pilot. He's in a hotel. She poses as a journalist and she like books him for a flight. And, you know, she's like, there was, you know, Rose could really look and sound respectable. So I think that was why they would use her for, mm-hmm. or she would choose to be used in these types of situations where it's like Rose goes in and she smooshes and then these guys come in and they hijack. So I think we should also note that she loved disguises. She did. That's such <laughs> yeah. a, how could I leave that out? <laughs> like how elaborate fake prosthetics, like, or um, just like not wigs. prosthetics, but wigs, accents, uh, all kinds mm-hmm. of things that she used. Carefully mm-hmm. picked out tweed skirts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and in this one, yeah, she's like a respectable journalist. And she gets this booking, and then she has two other guys come with her who are journalists. One of them is Eddie, Mad Eddie, and another oh. guy. Um, and the pilot named Hobday doesn't even know what's going on until they have like a gun pressed to him, and they say keep keep flying. Um, and they first go and they pick up milk containers, um, milk churns that they have turned into explosives, and then they have him drive to a police station in Stabane. I don't know. I am so sorry. I don't know the pronunciation. Um, but mm-hmm. the idea is, yeah, to drop these explosives onto this police station that is filled with people. And the author mentioned that a lot of people want to dramatize this book because like so far it already sounds like a movie, but he really doesn't want it to be portrayed as slapstick because if this explosion had worked, um, a lot of people would have been killed, but instead they just, one falls into a lake and one falls into a building and doesn't detonate. And it ends up being completely harmless. And everyone's just kind of watching this helicopter fly around and drop explosives in the wrong location. I mean, Hey, life of crime ain't easy, right? You got to work hard for it. So, and they did blame the helicopter driver and it's like, well, he wasn't part, he wasn't participating (laughs) voluntarily. Yeah. Yeah. No, but Diane, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, he was not into it. He didn't want to do it. Uh, but Rose is immediately the main suspect, which ends up making things worse for Wally in prison. And then she's a fugitive. And which leads us to our second art heist, which has actually never been solved and may or may not have been Rose. The author clearly thinks it was. Um, mm-hmm. I think he has a good point, And there's a lot of things pointing to Rose. Madeline, do you remember that one? Oh, yes. This is the <laughs> Rustboro House heist. Oh, no, this right. is the Kenwood House. The Kenwood. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry. The Kenwood House happens first. It does. Yeah, sorry. It's another <laughs> fancy house with art in it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Um, it, I I only remember one thing from this one. What do you remember? I She stole a Vermeer, if this was, in fact, her. Yes. Yeah. Which, it's the guitar player, correct? Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, the guitar player. So the, we'll just say the thief. What they did was, this was actually an armed building. Um, I think two years ago they had had a theft and the pieces were recovered, but um, uh, had some upped security. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were guards on site, but they broke into a window on the first story and the guards, it happened in less than a minute. So the guards, like by the time they got there, a Vermeer was missing. It was right next to a Rembrandt, but the Rembrandt was too big. And honestly, they might've been going for the Vermeer. 
and that one went missing. And while no one has ever been um, charged with the crime officially, um, the piece was recovered. There was a clairvoyant named Nella Jones who called. So yes, the story has a psychic in it. And she's like, the piece is in a cemetery. And lo and behold, it was. about this. But, I mean, <laughs> Um, in between it being recovered in the cemetery by the psychic and it being stolen, uh, letters arrived ransoming it for the Price sisters. So this is one of the reasons that we suspect Rose is mm. we we <laughs> oh no, it's not us. Oh, wait, wait. The they're like, give us give the Price sisters money to get the painting back. It's give us money, send the Price sisters to the prison they want to be in, and you'll get your Vermeer. Yeah, it's just mm-hmm. transferring them. All they want is just to be in the prison in Ireland. All they, okay. Yeah, <laughs> they're still willing to be in a prison. It's just a yeah. different prison. Right. And via their father, the sisters are like, we're not into this. Can you, we appreciate what you're doing, but we would like the art to be returned to the people of Ireland. And this really made me think about the, um, like the oil protesters and just like how much of a precedent there is for art being used as collateral and social causes. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, it gets used in this, but really like, that's what they want is they want us to be fighting about like upping security or like whatever different causes. And we're fighting about whether or not the art should be used. And I got all crazy thoughts about that but it it was like oh there's a real precedence for this and there's I'm sure I couldn't help but make those connections too when I was reading the book and I mean go ahead ties in with like even when we discuss provenance about how art is used as like um like an asset for lobbying and you know Mm -hmm. black get with mafia relations to get things done using the art as the means to to get there because of its significance culturally and financially so like makes sense right and then you have people like who want the same thing which is for the price sisters to be transferred and some are willing to use art in that exchange and some don't want to Hmm. Hmm. okay that's wild how did that resolve itself um, it was, I guess the case was never really closed and that no one ever confessed, yeah. but the piece was found and the uh, author thinks that the whole clairvoyant being the reason that they found the art is a cover and maybe later when Rose Boiler mm-hmm. is arrested, um, mm-hmm. she might have told them and they're covering that up or they had some form of, form of informant that they're using this clairvoyant story to cover up, which would make sense. Yeah, that makes more sense than just like this clairvoyance really like bing, 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 this, this painting in this cemetery, like, get out of here. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just not into, I want to believe, I want to believe, but I'm not. The truth is out there. (laughs) Yes, the truth is out there. All right. All right. Okay. So now, sorry, we can talk about the Rust Road theft. Yeah. Finally, the big, the big, it's actually the longest house in Ireland. So like literally the big. Oh, house. it's the longest one too. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, longest house? Yeah. Like physically, it's, it's very long. Is it's it very a long? big house. Like it was a very luxurious place in Ireland, actually in Northern Ireland. Um, yeah. And uh, Maddie, do you remember how to say the family's name that lived there the beats that sounds it's b-e-i-t sarah bit big no clue, no clue. <laughs> I, I won't even pretend i guess we'll call them lord and lady yeah lord, lord and lady, lady bait i know that baby? she is yeah she's lady and his name is alfred i don't know why I don't yeah and even there his like anthony amore he describes a little bit of them he gives you backstory to everything in this book which is really nice um but they were in the house of lords right the they're fancy the husband, yeah they're fancy yeah. they have influence they have power um, they have money from they have diamond and gold money from south africa <laughs> they they were in south africa and they left i think 
because they were unsupportive of apartheid that's kind of what i was getting i don't remember that actually um, okay um but anyway they they made all their money there and then they moved into this house in northern ireland ireland Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and basically rose and her her gang because amore believes that rose is the mastermind behind this they show up rose is in a disguise she's got a little i'm imagining a little black bob is that because she's doing the french accent yes (laughs) oh okay you are right. I think it was brunette because later she, yeah, I'll, I'll bring that up later. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so she shows up to the house and she's got the guys with it. Basically, she starts out by getting the um, the staff's attention. And I can't remember, does she need something from them? I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, the <laughs> kid who answers the door is like the 14-year-old son. Yes. The manservant. So, like, they kind of like she is asking them for something. She gets in, and then they just start like coming in full force with starting with the staff. Yeah, she has a like an initial ruse, but it doesn't last long, and they pretty much just take over. Yeah, and they tie everyone up. I'm pretty sure they hit uh, Lord Beat over the head. Um, He's in seventies. Yes. Oh, an elderly man. Him up. Yeah. yeah. And they do, they bound and gag all the staff. And yeah. it's kind of different accounts where they're like, oh, they're kind of more gentle with the staff yes. than the states. But then it's like, um, you hit the 14-year-old, I think, and you yelled at you told a woman that they you're going to kill her if she didn't get out of the bath. Like right. it was pretty it was fast and intense and they were calling the owners capitalist pig yeah but they- apologizing to the staff but saying like i'm sorry we have to do this though <laughs> yeah and this yeah. is all within what like 10 this is a really quick yeah heist. it's and um she steals a total of 19 artworks or she's directing which artworks her crew takes and i thought it was funny um question that- Okay, go ahead. How did she know what artwork was in the house and where it was at? She, I don't know if she knew that, but once they saw the artwork, okay. she knew what the valuable pieces she were. She was using her aristocratic yeah. background to her. And who okay. knows, this could have been, like, a lot of these types of houses were open to the public sometimes. Like, they'd have days where they would let, you know, like, the townspeople come and walk around the house. So there could have been a situation like that. I don't know if they did any prep work for the size okay, okay. i'm sure they I, did like did they case the joint i think is how people call yeah. it <laughs> yeah right, okay that is um, a good question it was it didn't come up okay yeah i'll write mr amore um, yes. um, but lady beat um i'm just calling her lady beat now no, uh she at one point tries to throw them off by Rose takes something down and she says, not the Vermeer, hoping that she, Rose will think that's the Vermeer and then not go for the real Vermeer, (laughs) which I thought was funny. (laughs) I thought that was so great. Yeah. Yeah. And she wasn't there for the whole thing because they eventually threw her into the basement. But I thought that was such a good call. And we should say that there's only like 36 Vermeers in the world. So when people are listening and it's like, what's so valuable about a Vermeer is they are really beautiful pieces, but Mm -hmm. um, they're also extremely rare. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're out of there. Yeah. Did they? Okay. As we, you know, discussed heist before, was the artwork like, kind of what we would say like violently handled where they cut out of frames or how were no. they the big uh, ones no. were cut out of frames but I think it was pretty like I thought they, they were, were just removed from the frame like they still had their stretchers on them okay. is You're the right. impression I had but um I, I could be wrong and like were these I, just like thrown into bags and like now we're just walking down the street with art they and were bags? he They're describes bundled. it as bundled together yes okay <laughs> And then the littler ones were just in their frames kept together. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't like 
complete slashing, but it was in the area afterward was in disrepair, like the house. Mm-hmm. Was. Yeah. I I kind of like that because um, from our heist episode, you know, I hated the way things were like cut out of frames and everything or. Uh, you're a but- big. You're big into that. Like, if you're gonna steal, treat the art respectfully. Exactly. You like, respectful thief. At least Rose is an appreciator of the art. Well, yeah. Like, <laughs> and if it's important enough to steal in such a way to use for that, then yeah, you know, keep your keep your materials in good good shape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they, uh, well, no surprise, they try to ransom these for the Prey Sisters. All well, that for another up on the Price Sisters? I mean... Yeah, so two Vermeers have now been stolen and ransomed for the Price Sisters. And this second heist is linked to Rose. Basically, they just find the house she rented. They track her down and yeah. she's there. She even leaves and comes back. And then all the art is there. Um, there's evidence of what was taken because there were some clocks stolen too. Her yeah. fingerprints were on it. So now... They have Rose, they have all the pieces, they send them to conservators because uh, for whatever damage there was, which also the other Vermeer also went to conservators. Um, and so they have, yeah, they kind of got everything. Yeah. <laughs> and they know that Rose ransomed these for the Price Sisters and they know that somebody else st- stole a Vermeer and ransomed it for the Price Sisters. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, too cool. That's too cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you don't think she could be a copycat in any way? That's a good point. I you but, you changed my mind instantly. Yeah. <laughs> um I do I want to mention that uh the IRA they did not want any connection to this at all, which I thought was funny. <laughs> She's doing all of this for the IRA and they're like we have nothing to do with this Rose Dugdale person. <laughs> no, which now apparently certain members are like, yeah, we like Rose Dugdale and we don't like Dolores Price or not oh, like, but, you know, okay. yeah, she's not as accepted. And I know she felt really betrayed by like the Good Friday Accords. And yeah. um, like, I think, yeah, at least as far as Jerry Adam uh, goes, like he's like, yay, Rose, no Dolores. And do she's- you think that Rose didn't, like be top secret about it in the end because she was just too cocky or what like to just be like oh everything's just here you're you're not even you're not even hiding the goods at a friend's apartment you, you know what I mean like it's all just there where you are like what do you think was that or was she just like done and over it like my plot maybe she work. just realized her time was up like how old she was she at this point like early uh, 30s I think oh yeah so oh, yeah. she's still alive so okay all right yeah and she I think was like accepting and then once she was arrested she didn't um she still wore her wig and she (laughs) didn't admit to it and she wouldn't even at first admit that she was Rose Dugdale she just went with like silence so it's not like they captured her and she immediately started talking and she never gave up the other men she is the only one who was arrested for this yeah and um and she, again, kind of turns the courtroom into her stage for all the revolutionary things she wants to say. And the judge is kind of like, this is not the time. And she kept doing it. Like, she <laughs> maybe was accepting because then she could fill that role of that revolutionary. Um, I don't think she tried to get caught. At least mm-hmm. I don't. But she was maybe yeah. accepting of it when, it when it did happen. Maybe being a bit of a, a martyr for her cause. Mm-hmm. she did go to prison she did and she was also tried for the um helicopter terrorist attempt, or attempt. Mm-hmm. yeah did they get her on that or they did i think that extended her sentence well how long did she get in jail or prison she she got longer than she served i think she only served seven years yeah. but she had longer and what happened in that first year madeline she had a baby <sighs> From whom? Is that what you wanted me to say, Maddie? Yeah. (laughs) She had a baby from um, Eddie Gallagher's father. Um, They got together like very soon after she left. Are we talking about the the Mad Eddie? 
B, Mad Eddie Gallagher. Mad Eddie, so yeah. I think the order it went was she had the baby and then Eddie Gallagher um, kidnapped a Dutch scientist who he thought was German <laughs> to try to bargain for Rose, another what? friend of his, and then kind of a random guy. So everyone got the ransom note and was like, Eddie, we know it's you because oh. you're the person <laughs> who is connected to these things. And at this point, I believe he was also rogue from the IRA. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. With that kidnap. And then we should say the Dutch scientist was ended up surviving, but it was like a 36 day standoff. It was, and he kept an account where he's like, this guy is acting nuts. Um, he's making me really nervous. And the woman that was charged along with Eddie for that kidnapping, I think went to the same prison as Rose where she was mm. like doing a light hunger strike. And I say light because she still drank tea and coffee and water. Huh. And, oh, it was for Sorry. the prisoners, <laughs> I know, who after two weeks actually got sent to the prison that they wanted to be sent to. So mm. that wrapped up. She has the baby. So they just coincidentally got transferred to the other prison. None of this uh, rigmarole had anything to do with it. I don't think so. I think that there was just a lot of shifting going on. It was kind of multiple politically. Okay. Yeah. In their favor. Yeah. Yeah. But this Rose didn't seem to help, even though she was on a set, like she, she was on that hunger strike in solidarity for them for two yeah. weeks, but it was two weeks after. I don't think it was because of that. Um, I don't think that they knew she was pregnant yet because she was four months pregnant when she got arrested. And they're like, I didn't know it was happening until the contraction started. Oh boy, Rose. Okay. What? Yeah. Yeah. And her son Rory was raised by godparents okay. uh, because at this point Eddie was in prison for that kidnapping. She was still in prison, and um, and then they got married. In prison through. through and he got to come. They had oh, like in, they had a wedding in person. Her parents yeah. didn't attend. Um, so, okay, I, I just say that. From what I'm getting is that both Mad Eddie and Rose seem to overestimate the power of like bargaining tools and ransoming things like their plans of like, if I get this, they're surely going to what I need going to happen. And this, this, they seem very misguided. It hasn't worked a lot. And yeah, you would think, but they did get to have an in-person wedding and she did get her squash court in prison. She got a, excuse me, she got a squash court in prison? She did. She advocated for more books because she's like, I'm really smart. I can't be expected to read thrillers. Uh -huh. We need more books and I need a squash court. And she got both. Hey, I don't know. Which even maybe know. goes to what Madeline was saying about her being like a forceful leader and having, I don't know. She seems to have sway over people, like throughout her whole life. <laughs> She's like a cult leader in the making. Like she, she had a a way with people. She did. Wally oh. is still in love with her, apparently. Yeah. Oh my god. She's like, bye, Wally. Okay. <laughs> she has a great time in prison. It sounds like she's been reading. She's been working on her squash game. Mm -hmm. Um. She when... does eventually kind of reunite with her parents. I think because of the the child. Bebe. Right. Yeah. The yeah. baby who, who sounds lovely. And they had, they did have a relationship, like a decent relationship, but he, um, uh, she, her, like her first love seems to always be like social activism. She's mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. portrayed as extremely close to her family and her and Eddie, their marriage eventually, I don't know if they officially divorced, but their relationship fizzled out. And she's just like, yeah, we were both in different prisons that's hard we were that's both like, in different places yeah <laughs> physically yeah so yeah. what does she do so she gets out of prison does she just have a job and live her life from that point on i mean like she works in journalism a bit and she's extremely active in um activist causes she i think at one point had a youtube channel which i did not check out oh. okay <laughs> And right. I think that was short-lived. And I don't really know what happened to Eddie after prison or if Wally ever got out. But um, yeah, she's just living her life, sticking to causes. Uh, there was one about like the op opioid crisis. She got mm -hmm. really into that cause as well as others. And um, she never gave up the two men that 
were involved in the the Rossboro House theft, and she never confessed to the guitar player. So, okay. again, you're right, well, Alan. It could have been a copycat, but... What they say, snitches get stitches, so, you know, you gotta... <laughs> mum's the word when it comes to it. Yeah, apparently um, they're right about that. <laughs> yeah. Where, <laughs> and, and where does she reside now? I, that is a good question. You know what? You're not somewhere in England. Oh. I want to say, or oh, was okay. it Ireland? She, in Ireland. she hates England. Yeah, maybe she stayed in Ireland. I want to say they tell oh. you in the book. That oh. is. Hmm. You, you know what a takeaway I'm getting from this is that I am living living far too of a like a life that is like keeping an order of what the man wants me to do. Do you know what I'm saying? I am not. You want am I living life? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we're not spending any time concocting plans to make change, whether for good or bad. Do you, do you know what I mean? I mean, I guess, well, maybe we are oh, a little bit, but maybe not. I don't know. But not to speak for everybody, but you know what I'm saying? Like, bring a, like, a bit of her chaos into it. Yes, maybe not yeah. the exact chaos, but you're like, maybe I need a little bit more chaos. Like, touch. like yeah. A little Stick. more bite. Yes. We're not feisty enough. I don't think any of us. We're not wearing wigs. We're not using fake accents. We're not no. like just, you know, it, for me, I see a sign that says, oh, can't go through this door. Well, I'm not going to go. I'm through not doing it. Well, I'm not breaking me. through there with my wig Getting and my tweed skirt and my French accent. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going through that door and I'm going to look good doing it. And, um, hmm. But That's I wasn't. An interesting takeaway. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, also, like, so, you're right. There was incidents where people could have died, so that's not cool. These these things are not yeah. cool. But I am feeling a little bit of you know you gotta live a little bit. I mean, maybe she's living. I don't. I who who's to say? I don't know. Right. <laughs> she is a bit of an icon in Ireland now. Yeah. Okay, so she's viewed favorably for her kind of wild ways. I think again, I like think an anti-hero. So. She's yeah. a bit of a Jesse James. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, saying that, would you guys consider Rose an or this heist activism? <sighs> no, it it activism adjacent, but I think that the the grayness of that could be is very big and vast. You know what I mean? Because yeah, that when your activism does take the form of literally endangering numerous other innocent people's lives like you know what i mean like that's not cool that's more extremism than activism yeah and i'm sure (laughs) there's people who have studied like the effectiveness and the overall um like uh reverberations from the troubles in ireland and from like things that the ira did versus things that outliers did and um because that's such a complicated situation oh yeah i i learned a lot in this book about the troubles i could still learn more (laughs) i mean hey it sounds like if you read this book and you watch dairy girls you're gonna learn a lot about the did you guys watch dairy girls on Netflix? oh yeah yes that's all happening in the background you know dairy comes up quite a bit actually yeah Mm -hmm. london dairy or dairy or dairy yeah oh my god Um, yeah and if not i mean you'll learn but i think you'll also have a good time i i felt like this read like like a move like it read like a fiction novel yeah i know mostly because like so many crazy things happen to rose in her life or she causes them to happen (laughs) yes and the the descriptions of her and it's like here's this woman wearing trousers and making a mess and here's this man who has this background that still haunts him and yeah written better so um do you guys think this has movie potential because i kind of feel like it it has movie vibes or at least a mini series i'm gonna say i got caught up in the drama so definitely like hearing your guys's story i'm like tell me more what now there's a helicopter what now we're beating seven-year-old men (laughs) you're having a baby we got it's got everything it's got love it's got romance it's got thriller it's got danger yeah it's definitely ready for a movie i think i agree and i, I have the book. 
I just failed at reading it. So now after hearing this, it makes me feel like I should read it. Or so, watch the movie. Or, the- or watch the movie. Or you know what? How about we make the movie? Okay. We'll side table that for later. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, yeah. I will say, because, oh, oh, I was just going to say, like, my Madeline reading style, (laughs) um, this was a morning or early afternoon read for me. There's a lot of historical facts in here, so I definitely could not do it at bedtime. So I just wanted to say that for anyone who might read it. Are you also feeling like I got, like, the real high note, high energy version of the story and that, like, it would... Is it read a little bit? It, it, are, you, are you kind of saying it's a, a slow kind of a boring read? It's just detail. No, it just okay. got a lot of detail. It's it's nonfiction, true crime. But um, I I've told you ladies before. Sometimes I get in bed and I read one page and I fall asleep. And this is you can't do that with this book because you're gonna like miss something. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because then you're just like, who? Wait, who am I learning about? Yeah. It's not boring. You're just like, I don't remember who this is. We're talking about right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. He's giving a st- backstory on the beats, mm-hmm. which I remember being interesting. Yeah, okay. you find out about their love story, and then you're like, oh my god, she thought she'd never yeah. see him again going into the basement. <laughs> oh no. Okay. Well, and her um, Mrs. Beats' uh, background, she like dated ss officers and met adolf hitler or something yeah like, yeah there everyone was juicy yes okay. mm-hmm. and rose's mother worked at a gallery in paris which is like some of her yeah. came from that oh. mm-hmm. yeah it's before the war too so yeah this is a very interesting time period in history i think yeah, you're right. Because having like the Debbie Taunt Ball feels like such a different period than like yeah. Really by the Black Panther movie. Even though I guess like those are pretty close. Like it all just feels like such different eras. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So okay, well, uh, okay for the both of you, if you were gonna give it uh, zero to five stars, how many are you giving this book? I mean, Which I think anyone who writes a book deserves five stars because writing a book is hard. Is coherent. Hard. Yes. It's very hard. I'm going to maybe go with like 4.5 and only because I don't even know what a five would be only because I just feel like five is. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, no, I think he deserves a five. Wow. Okay. okay. I, I will give it a four. I give things that I love fours. Okay. I don't know why I'm like that. It's like, I, I reserve the five for like, absolutely i really enjoyed this i'm giving it a four okay all right that's i painted good. about it so you i enjoyed would, it yeah that, that's a good point that, yeah okay it inspired you that it is true five me. is like you have to read this or i'm going to harass you until you read it this yeah. one's yeah. quite enjoyable and if you are interested in art heist or that period or women yeah. interesting women yeah that's okay. yeah well, cool. That was that was fun for me. As somebody who didn't read the <laughs> oh, book. So that's good. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, um, with that, I guess what's for dinner, everybody? Where, you know, what are we doing tonight? I'll tell you that I have an unknown evening. I'm gonna go out with a friend to get some drinks and we're probably gonna get to dinner. And I don't know where we're gonna go. Ooh, I don't know. Exciting. That's chaotic. That You're is living. yeah. No, that is, you know, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm kind of like, well, we could go here, here and here, here. Um, but uh, I don't really know what I'm doing. So, ta-da. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I am somewhat like that tonight, maybe without going out for drinks with a friend, <laughs> but I don't know what I'm eating tonight. And I think I'm going out to eat tonight. <laughs> Living on the edge. Yeah. Okay. What? I wonder, do you think either of you will eat some very British or very Irish food this evening? Oh, I'd love to. Chances are low for me. I really like a good English breakfast. So I'm going to save that for tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Ooh, savory. Yeah. Yes. Mm. I am going to a child's birthday party. So I have pizza and funfetti cupcakes in my future. Oh, that sounds delightful. 
Yes. I think it will be. Cool. Ah, well, thank you guys. This was lovely. Yeah, this was good. <laughs> All right. And with that, stay preserved. Stay preserved. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>